So we've been in this series in the summer called Summer in the Psalms. And I, I get the privilege of closing it off today, but I'm also sensing that, that today's message is, is not only to finish our series off, but is actually to help kind of calibrate us for what's coming in the fall and beyond. You know, we've gone over lots of themes. Uh, we've covered grief and sleep and identity and basking in the Father's presence and l- focusing our eyes into heaven. But like I just said, what I want to talk about today, I think, is important, like all the others, but it will kind of help set us on a, on a new journey and in in, in how we're approaching this subject. And really what I want to talk about today is worship. Okay, now as soon as I mention worship, there, there's a gazillion different ways I could go and directions I could run, right? And you're thinking, oh, worship wars, here we go. No, that's not happening. Okay, I want to talk today about worship as a weapon. I just heard something really interesting. The weapon of worship. The weapon of worship. And even more specifically, talk about worship as expressed through song and through music. Okay, so from now on, the rest of this message... When I mention the word worship or when I'm talking about worship, I'm specifically referring to singing and expressing praise and thanksgiving through song and through music like we just did, okay? Just so you guys know. Yes, there's lots of other understandings of worship and heart of worship and our lives as, as uh, vessels of worship, but for today, I'm talking about what happens when we sing, okay? Well, I, I want, I, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit reveals to you what actually happens when we sing, and how is worship actually a weapon? <laughs> and what actually happens when we're singing up here, when we're singing all together? What happens when we're singing in the car, or singing in the shower, or singing at work, or on the sidewalk, or here with hundreds of people? What actually happens? I'm convinced and deeply convicted that as we discover this weapon of worship, Satan is done. He's done. Okay, and the more people of God who have that same conviction, the stronger we as a people become in Christ, and the worse it is for our enemy. Amen? Yeah. So let's talk about that this morning. Okay? Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 149, and we'll launch out of there after I finish reading. Psalm 149, it should be on the screen for you. It says this. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment, this honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So right off the top, can we quickly identify what kind of psalm this is? Any guesses? 
Praise. Thank you, Joel. Praise. Thanksgiving. I didn't pay him for that, okay? That was good. So praise and Thanksgiving song, okay? And, and there's this book of Psalms is loaded with praise and Thanksgiving, loaded. And, and if you ever needed a biblical basis for dancing and worship, read this song, okay? It's right there. We could have more of that in this place. Yes, I actually said that. We could have more dancing in here, expressions of joy and love toward our Father. And we can see one of the main reasons that they're actually dancing and worshiping. And we see those reasons in in verse 4. They're expressing their thanks and, and praising God because of the sheer fact that he delights in them. He takes pleasure in his people. He loves them, and he cares for them. And, and, and then check this out. So they're praising God for something that hasn't happened yet. It says, he will beautify the humble with salvation, or he, he crowns the humble or lowly with victory. Now, the word lowly or humble here just refers to Israel as being inferior to their enemies, okay, not an identity issue. It's inferior to their enemies, but they would soon reap victory and salvation. That's yet to come. They're praising, Jesus, praising God for victory that hadn't yet come. Interesting. It's a huge part of having a thankful heart, friends. It's huge. Not just praising and thanking God, though necessary, when, things, when, when he gives us stuff, when we're thankful for what he's done. Okay, but, but praising and thanking God for something that does not yet exist in your current reality. I think we could do a lot more of that. It's a huge step of faith for thanking Jesus for what he has yet to do in your life. Thanking Jesus when you're in the pit. Thanking Jesus when you're just in despair. You're thanking him for the victory that you have in his name. Because one day you'll walk out of that grief that sorrow, that pain, that crisis. And he gives you victory in it as well. So we thank him. I could keep talking about that, but the really, really what I want to get at here is what I alluded to earlier. It's like this journey of why worship. Okay, why sing? What happens when we sing? How is worship a weapon? I like saying that word, weapon. How is it a weapon? Okay, in the words of Lisa Bevere, She's amazing. She says, you don't have to be a worship leader to worship. Hmm. And you don't have to be a singer to sing. That's true. You just have to be a child of God. Right? Yeah. So if you're in the back and you're like, ah, I'm not a good singer, sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. You and I were created to worship We are created to sing praises to God, created to do that. Our created bodies have been inherently designed to to reflect the image of our creator and express praises of thankfulness and gratitude to him. Isaiah 43, 21, this people I have formed myself that they may declare my praises. Psalm 66, 4, all the earth, that means all of us as well, Okay? shall worship you and sing praises to you. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Come into his presence with singing, whether good singing or bad. Okay? Revelation 22, 8 and 9, an angel actually commands John, worship God. Worship God. No one else. Worship God. 
1 Peter 2.9, love this. But you, Christ followers, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, yes, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Oh, isn't that good? That's so good. So every single one of us has been created to worship God. And you don't have to be a singer to sing. There's an amen there somewhere, okay? I can't, we just have to sing regardless. We just got to sing. So one of the main reasons, okay, we worship and we sing praises to God, apart from it being a command, is out of complete thankfulness and gratitude for who he is and for what he's done for us and how he just delights in us. And there are many other reasons and benefits of why we worship Jesus. Let me just name a few. When we worship, it moves us from a selfie-focused perspective to a God-focused perspective. Okay, I'm not against selfies. Okay, I take selfies too. Okay, but worship takes us from that self-centeredness and puts it to God, where He is the only one worthy of our praise. Worshiping God reminds us that it's not all about us. Psalm 150 verse 2, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. God is worthy of our praise regardless of whether we're full of joy or whether we're full of anger or whether we're full of grief or pain or sorrow. He's worthy of our singing. Why? Because he's good. He is good. Nahum 1.7. He is good. He's good. We also worship because it actually, it actually encourages our soul. Okay, when we sing songs, it's literally impossible to complain at the same time. Right? Try it. You can't. You can't. God, I'm sick of this person. Oh, poor Christ Jesus. It doesn't work. You can't. It doesn't work. Don't do it. Have you ever tried complaining to God while worshiping at the same time? Can't happen. It can't happen. I can't do it. Okay, why not? Because through praising Jesus, we're not, we're again, we're focused on him, not our situation, not our circumstances. And you, you can actually pray and complain. You can complain and pray at the same time, okay? And sometimes that happens. But singing a song and complaining at the same time is pretty hard to do. And by the way, if we, you know, sometimes we just have a, a negative attitude or we're just not in the right headspace when we come here on Sunday mornings and, and you just don't feel like singing. Just try. Just try singing and watch what happens. Your soul, <laughs> the Holy Spirit breathes in you and as you lift praise to Jesus, when you don't feel like it, something happens to your soul. It gets encouraged and built up. It's unbelievable. You can't stay negative long if you authentically worship Jesus. Author and biblical teacher Chris Valentin says, God is pleased when you have expressions of worship that don't feel emotionally good. In other words, singing and worshiping Jesus when you don't feel like it. Okay, he says, what some would call hypocritical, God calls sacrifice. 
Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Praising God and singing, Je- singing to Jesus when you're not in the right headspace is not non-authentic worship or hypocritical. It's not. Okay? It, it, this is what personal sacrifice is all about. God is pleased that you're, you're turning to him even when you don't feel like it. Because that's when he can begin to work in you. There are only two times, hear me, hear me clearly, there's only two times when we're to worship. That's it! When we feel like it and when we don't. Okay? Yes, that's funny, but it's true. When we feel like it and when we don't. That's it, just two times. It's not that hard. Something else that takes place when we praise Jesus is that the impossible happens. Okay? Acts 16, 25, and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, in jail. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. That's not coincidental. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds or chains were unfastened. When we worship Jesus, the creator of the universe, the victorious one, the impossible happens. The supernatural is released in our midst. And you will see things that you never dreamed of or imagined. I won't touch on this next one for long, but another benefit to worshiping Jesus is that it's actually healthy okay, and good for our brains. It's true. Science backs this up. This the incredible benefits of growing a healthy brain that come when people sing songs of adoration. Dr. Andrew Newberg wrote a book called How God Changes Your Brain. And in it provides evidence that worship can positively affect brain structure. Okay, imagine that. Okay, that's literally, literally renewing your mind. Like Romans 8, 1 and 2, Romans 12. Singing together also builds up community and speaks life into one another. Okay, Ephesians 5, 19. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, similar. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. See, that's key because that comes out of a context of bearing with one another and forgiving one another and being at peace with one another. Okay, when we sing together as a body, we're we're encouraged and lifted up. There's tons of reasons and benefits as to what happens when we worship. But there's something else. There's something else that happens when we worship God. There's something so dramatic that happens in the spirit realm when we sing praises to Jesus that it literally releases armies in heaven and shakes up the foundations of hell. Literally. It's kind of like proactive worship. I'm not, I'm not making any conclusions here that this is the primary reason we worship. Okay? The primary reason we worship is to look up to and lift up 
the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But by, by worshiping in this way, by, by worshiping through song toward Jesus, there is a simultaneous effect on the forces of hell that is offensive to the kingdom of darkness and defeats every attempt for him to distract you from God. Every single one. You see, the devil wants nothing more than to steal our attention from the Father. He wants nothing more than to bring doubt and pride and division and complaining into this body. Anything that will turn people's hearts from God, that's the enemy's job. He wants nothing more than for us to believe the lies that he plants in our minds about ourselves and about God. To attack our identity in Christ. And every time we worship, we are expressing our dependency upon God and our need for Him and reminding Satan that the God we worship is the all-powerful, the all-victorious one, the conqueror of death who has defeated the enemy. And that makes the devil tremble. We need to see this expression of worship kind of as, as multi, multi, having multifold purposes. Okay, on the one hand, we're, we're expressing praise and thankfulness and our love and adoration and blessing to God. And at the same time, as we're singing, we're actually waging war against the enemy. Uh, well, how does that work? Like, all, all we're really doing is singing, right? That's all we're doing. No. There's an astounding story in the Old Testament <clears throat> that tells us exactly what's going on here, how this all happens. Let me summarize it for you, and I'll read some verses out of it, but it's from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's amazing. It starts out by King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, uh, receiving intelligence from his officers that there's three armies, okay, three armies who are forming an alliance, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, and they're forming this vast army together, this alliance, and they're going to come after Judah. Okay, and so when Jehoshaphat received this intelligence, he's like, wow, I'm totally fearful here. He's scared. I would be, right? But the first thing he did was go to the Lord. Okay, he went to the Lord. Regardless of how fearful he was, he went to the Lord, and he declared a fast throughout Judah. And then people from all over the nation of Judah actually came into one place together, formed a big assembly, and they prayed and sought the Lord for help. Imagine that. Okay, and then in the midst of this massive prayer assembly, okay, the, the Spirit of God falls on one of these individuals, and he stands up, and he speaks out to the whole assembly and to the king. And he goes, King, the Lord says, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, this great army. Why not? He says, because the battle is not yours. It's God's. He goes on and says, tomorrow you'll, you'll, you'll go after them. See, they're, they're already on their way up the slopes of Ziz. You'll meet them at the end of the ravine near the wilderness of Jeruel. And hear this, he says, you will not need to fight in this battle. What? Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, <laughs> who is with you. Wow. Then the king and everyone in that meeting 
bowed down and worshiped God. And some spontaneously stood up and praised the Lord with loud voices. Well, what a scene. Now check this out. Early the next morning after consulting the people, King Jehoshaphat appointed some men to sing to the Lord. Did you hear that? Appointed some men to sing to the Lord. Some translations say appointed a choir to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing praises, God sets ambushes up against these three armies, and they all end up dead. <laughs> right? No, okay, you get it. Right? I'm not laughing at their defeat. But the Ammonites and Moabites mistakenly attacked that other crew, Mount Seir, and massacred them. And then after further confusion, they went after each other, and they all end up dead. Every single one dead. And then Judah came up over the hill, expecting to see this vast army. What happened? There was not one single living body left. What happened here? Okay, God said to the people, stand still. Stand still and watch as I deliver you from the hands of your enemies. Stand still. I will fight for you. Wow. Then the king, I would presume under divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit, said, okay, we're going to stand still, but I think we should also send a worship team to the front lines. What? Yeah, it says right there. It says, I'm going to appoint a worship team. We're going to go to the front and we're going to sing. We're going to go to the battle lines. That's possibly the worst military strategy ever. Okay? Ever! Not in God's eyes. Not in God's eyes. Bible teacher Eric Johnson answers the question, why would the king put their most vulnerable people at the front of the battle line? And vulnerable, it means like lack of weapons, okay? They put had flutes up there and guitars and harps. And like, could you imagine fighting a battle with instruments? I don't know. He proposes, Johnson proposes, that the reason Jehoshaphat did this is because of who they were. They were a nation called Judah, which means praise. They played from a place of identity, and Jehoshaphat put that at the very front of the battle march. Do you know that we are worshipers? Do you know that we've been created to worship? Our identity in Christ is about worshiping God. That's who we are. The king instructed a team of people to sing at the front lines. And as they sang praises, he threw the enemy into confusion and disarray and completely destroyed them. And as they sang, the territory that rightly belonged to them was reclaimed by Judah. Praise Jesus. And as they sang, the Lord fought and kingdom advanced. Now, this isn't the only time this happened in Scripture. Okay, You may recall Joshua chapter 6. The Lord's army goes to 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 Jericho. And they see this huge wall, heavily fortified wall. The Lord, before they go, the Lord goes to Joshua and says, Hey, Josh, just wait. I want you to march around the wall a number of times for seven days. And by the way, I want you to play your worship instruments, play your trumpets. And on the last day, 
Last time around the city, I want you to shout to the heavens with the loudest shout you could ever imagine. Literally, shouts of joy and praise to God. And what happens? Bam. Jericho's walls of Jericho are gone. They fall to the ground. Think about that for a second. If you, if you think that's impossible, imagine how easy it is for the Lord to break the walls down around our hearts. This would be like saying, Joel, get your worship team together, go to Nose Creek Park Amphitheater, and just start playing. Start playing and worshiping and singing, and then watch to see how the Lord breaks down walls of people's hearts in Airdrie and softens their hearts. And watch as you play, watch what happens as the enemy gets pushed back and back and back out of this city. Get ready. Are you aware? Are, are you aware that victory and more territory in our hearts are available to take back from the enemy when we worship? Are you aware that more victory and new ground and advance of heaven's kingdom into every area and influence of society awaits us if we walk forward in worship? Are you aware of that? Hear this. The enemy of our soul, Satan, does not want us to discover this weapon of worship because once we do, he's done. Why? Because it's not us fighting the battle. It's God. And God always wins. Always wins. He never does not win. It's like when we start to worship, when we start to sing praises to Jesus, and we're proclaiming truth about God and declaring his praises, as we do that, it's like God calls out to the angel armies of heaven and releases them to destroy the demonic forces around us down here. That's what happens. All we have to do is sing. Like that. <laughs> Battles are won when we worship. Battles are won when we worship. Completely. Our job is to sing and worship and be in love with and stay close to the Father. Okay, his job is to deliver us from the enemy. Okay, to deliver us from fear. His job is to release us from the chains of death and the lies from the demonic. That's what he does. Our job is to stand firm in our identity in Christ and on the side of victory and in freedom that, that comes from living hidden with Christ. Something I want to help us remember as we wield this, this weapon is, is how to posture ourselves when we worship, knowing what we know now. Okay, when the enemy comes and he taunts and, and spits lies in our ears, do not give him the attention he's looking for. Okay, we combat those lies and that fear and those taunts. How? By turning our hearts toward the Father. And as you do, you will forget what he's saying, what the enemy's saying to you. Because you're so captivated by God. We declare truth in song about who he is. We focus our eyes on Jesus, not the enemy. This is just another way of resisting the devil. Okay? 
And he will run as you start to worship because he's well aware of who fights your battle. So cultivate a posture when you worship where the door of your heart is, is open. It's authentic and, and thankful and full of gratitude and praise. And the Lord will fight every battle in your life. Every one. <clears throat> can, I just, can I just debunk another myth that we may have talked about at some point in our, in our history? I know I have. Okay? And this, this myth kind of comes out of this statement that I'm about to say. And it's this. Let's hurry up and get through these songs so we can get to the meat of the Bible. How many of you have thought that before? Keep your hands down. I'll raise mine because I have on behalf of all of you, okay? How many of, have thought of, how many of us have thought that before? Okay, that is, that is just not, it's not right and it just speaks of religiosity. I thought this for a long time. I, I like to sing. I was in the choir, Okay, I, but there were times when I thought, oh man, let's just hurry up, get through this music and, and receive the teaching of the word. Okay, this is just so fluffy and we just sing the same phrase over and over and over again. Man, I, let me give you the benefit of the doubt. I, I get why people love the word, okay? I get it. I love this. I love it. It's rich and full of promise. And talks about God and who he is. But, but, by hurrying up and getting through worship, singing, we are negating the deep importance that song has in declaring truth and promises of God as well. Okay, how many of you know that here at AAC, at most, if not every single song we sing is loaded with scripture and truths about God? And we declare those biblical truths every Sunday and every revival night. See, worshiping actually gives us space to express who we really are. Okay? We are created to be worshipers. We can't, we don't just do worship, hurry it up, and then move through it quickly. We, no, no. We don't, hear me closely, okay? We don't worship the Bible. We don't worship music. We don't worship prayer. We worship the risen Jesus Christ to whom songs and prayer and Bible all point to. No, don't hear me wrong. This is the authoritative living word of God. Okay, and here at this church, we are grounded in the word and we move in the spirit. But remember why we come together. We come together to gather around his presence. We gather around his presence and we encounter him through prayer. We encounter him through music and song. And we encounter him through, through the Bible. And now we all have a greater understanding of what actually happens when we worship. Earlier on I said that this topic today is crucial. It's crucial for, for us in this season and for the rest of the history of this church. And what God does here. Why is it so important for us to understand and know as we're going into the season? Why? Because battles are won 
and territory is gained. And kingdom of heaven advances and influences all areas of society when we worship. You guys can come up. Friends, it's, it's really important to know that this city is our city. It's our city. This region is our region. Okay, and this nation is our nation. Okay, going back to Jehoshaphat and what happened after the enemy was found dead, it says that it took three days, three days for Judah to collect all the spoil and valuables from the enemy's camp. Eric Johnson says, there are things, can okay, hear this really closely, there are things that the enemy has that belong to you. All we have to do is lift up praise. There are things that the enemy has that belong to us. All we got to do is lift up praise. He goes on to say, I wonder how many times the Lord is waiting to kill off your enemy of fear or doubt or, or grief. How, how, how long is he waiting to kill that off? But he's just waiting for you to sing a song. What if you came in here this morning discouraged and you're in, or you're in the middle of a crisis or you're full of anxiety? What if that's you? What if that's you right now? And Jesus is well aware of what you're going through, but he's saying, you know what? I know what you're going through. I get it. Child, I just want you to worship me, and I will take that anxiety away. Just worship me. Sing to me, because it will show your dependence upon me, and I will encourage you. I will build you up. I will restore you, and I will give you a different perspective to walk through, because in me, you are victorious. Worship me. Think about our city. Think about our, our region. Think about our nation. Think about all other areas across the world that the Lord's bringing to mind right now. There are people and cities and nations that are currently operating outside of a kingdom mindset. They are not currently living in the kingdom of freedom and abundance that comes only through Jesus Christ. Friends, there are people and cities and nations struggling with issues and problems. Your neighbor could be your coworker, completely unaware of heaven's solutions that will be released through you. The enemy has what belongs to us. Let's go get it. God in Psalm 2 says, ask me for the nations and I will give them to you. In Isaiah 61, he says, I will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated and I will renew the ruined cities. Who will renew them? God's people will renew those cities. Jesus has given every single one of us Christ followers in here all authority on heaven and earth. Yeah, this, is, this is why the name Kingdom City is so prophetically powerful. Listen, God gave us his name for what he's doing here in our midst. And in so doing, he's calling us 
and our city, kingdom city. Hear this. He's actually calling that which is not as though it were. In other words, Airdrie is becoming a kingdom city. It's not there yet. It's coming. Every time we say that name, we are declaring who we are. We are kingdom city. But also, every time we say that name, every time, we are prophetically declaring that this city will become a kingdom city. And where we plant other churches across this world, they will become kingdom cities. It all starts with worshiping Jesus. It all starts in the battleground of worship. And as we worship, as you and I worship together in masses like this, the enemy is pushed back. More and more and more and more and more and more territory is taken for this city. And more battles are won for people's hearts and lives. And more territory will be won in this region and in this world when we worship. Friends, this is actually what's really happening on revival nights and on Sunday mornings. We experienced that earlier this morning. Okay, could you imagine? Could you imagine coming together on a Sunday morning or on a revival night with this perspective? Could you imagine together what it would sound like in heaven when 500 or 1,500 or 3,000 Christ followers wield a weapon of worship together in one song? Could you imagine what happens to the enemy when 500, 1,000, 3,000 of God's people worship together? Can you imagine? This city will be a kingdom city. This region will be a kingdom region. That's what will happen. And this nation will be a kingdom nation. We are created to worship. And when we worship, Jesus is glorified. Hearts are changed and the enemy is defeated. When we worship, the Lion of Judah, he roars and the enemy scatters. I'm going to finish off here by making some declarations. I've done this with you before, but if it's it's something new to you, I'm going to say a declaration and I would like you to repeat it as loudly as you can. Okay? And if you feel this resonates with you, as we start, you can stand. You don't have to, but you can stand. These are declarations of worship, declarations of who we are as a people. Okay, so we take a stand. So declare after me. I will say something, and you repeat loudly. Okay? Okay. I am a worshiper of Jesus. Yes. I will worship when I feel like it and when I don't. When we worship, Jesus is glorified. When we worship, the enemy is defeated. When we worship, miracles happen. Hearts are restored. When we worship, community is built up and encouraged. 
When we worship, people are saved. When we worship, cities are restored. Nations are changed. And battles are won. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone else can stand if you're not standing now. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here in our midst. We just declare before you that we are a people created to worship you. And we declare together that as we worship you, you roar, the enemy loses. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We lift up your praise now. Amen. Amen.